Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How does a bill get passed? What branch of the government plays the biggest role in the process? And what happens when everyone can't reach an agreement? We'll get to all these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. In 1789, the Senate passed its first bill signed by President George Washington, the Oath Act. The first oath was pretty simple. I do solemnly swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States. Since then, bills are introduced to Congress on a daily basis, and not all of them go on to become a law. Some of these bills are small and only affect certain states, but others have much larger implications. And in recent months, the American government has been facing some of the most controversial bills of all time. But how do bills change throughout the process of signing them into law? And how do these bills shape the country we live in today? Here to talk me through all of this is Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Chad, it is so nice to have you back on Getting Schooled. Our ratings were just off the charts the first time you came, so we had to have you back. <laughs> so is this like a remedial class or is this just we go to the next grade here? I don't know. I think we skipped a few grades after your first lesson. Okay, very good. Very good. I'm glad to be back. Thank you. All right. Well, we're obviously talking to Bill, about bills today. So, you know, we're going to just do what we usually do on this podcast and throw it back to our grade school days. Can you just lay out the process of how a bill becomes a law? Well, you know, there's a couple ways that it actually happens, and there's a, a by-the-book way. That's the, that's the idea that any member of Congress can write a bill, and it goes through regular committees. In other words, there are certain committees that deal with health, or they deal with infrastructure, or they deal with the environment, or they deal with the military, or the judiciary. And so those bills are referred to those committees. And then the next step is what we call a markup. This is where, usually at the subcommittee level first, because, again, there's a lot of steps in Congress, they they prepare that bill, they refer it to the appropriate subcommittee, and then it comes up through the, the committee uh, process, and they vote it out, and they send it to the floor. And then in the Senate, it's at the discretion of the majority leader or in the House, the, the Speaker of the House, to put that bill on the floor. Now, to be frank, it usually doesn't happen quite that way. We have bills, in fact, most bills these days, and most big bills kind of work in reverse. They kind of get the, the blessing of the leadership first meaning in the House and the Senate. They say, all right, we're going to do this bill. And sometimes they give the committees of jurisdiction and look at maybe this uh, infrastructure bill or this big social spending bill that Democrats are preparing right now. Uh, they move it through in the House, the Ways and Means Committee, which deals with tax policy, the Finance Committee in the Senate. Same deal over there. Uh, you, you know, there's obviously a, a portion of this that deals with the uh, uh, Public Works Committee in the Senate, the Transpar Transportation Committee in the House of Representatives. And so they, they kind of get the, the details of these bills together and then send them to the House. Now, here, here's something that happens in the House that does not happen in the Senate. Mm -hmm. In the House of Representatives, if you're going to put a bill on the floor, 
it's up to the, the, the speaker and the majority leader to put a bill on the floor. But if they've done so, what you have to do is go before what's called the Rules Committee. Now, the Rules Committee, that's kind of the gateway, Abby, to the floor. Most bills that come to the House floor have to get a rule. And what does the rule do? The rule Sounds says, nerve-wracking. Well, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not that, but it's controlled by the majority. They say that we're going to put this uh, bill on the floor, and this is how we're going to play baseball today. In other words, you're not going to run to first base first today. You're going to run to second base uh, at first. And then, you know, you're going to get uh, four strikes versus three. You know, that's what they create in the rule. In other words, how much debate time? is on the floor, how much time they devote to it, whether or not the bill can be amended at all, whether or not members can propose amendments, uh, what amendments, if so, are in order. So that's a lockdown process in the House of Representatives. And what they have to do first to bring a bill to the floor is approve the rule. If you don't approve the rule, you can't play ball. That's the first thing. So sometimes, once in a blue moon, if leadership has a real problem, the rule is defeated and they're stuck. So that's the first thing. So, And then you would debate the bill itself after you've approved the rule and then, you know, pass the bill itself. So that's in the House. In the Senate, and you see this a little more in the Senate. Now, again, the Senate is a body of equals, 100 senators with ostensibly pretty much the same power. So you could come down to the floor of the Senate and once in a while this does happen. And say, uh, Mr. President, meaning the president of the Senate, Mr. President, I ask unanimous consent that we call up such and such a bill. It be deemed read three times because you have to read a bill three times and passed. And if nobody objects, <laughs> you have passed a bill in the Senate. Now, that doesn't happen very often, and it doesn't happen unless it's been pre-baked. In other words, they have something here on Capitol Hill in the Senate that's uh, referred to as a hotline. And in the old days, it actually used to be like a telephone. These days, it's mostly electronic. And what they do is they clear things with all 100 senators and say, is everybody OK if we pass this this way? And they will go down to the Senate floor, and they will pass a number of bills lickety-split like that. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, Because the other thing in the Senate, you don't have a rules committee to go through. You do have a rules committee in the Senate, but they deal with like parking and the sergeant at arms and things. It's a completely different uh, 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 role that they have in the Senate compared to the House of Representatives. Um, They don't have a rules committee because you have unlimited debate. And that's where people can filibuster bills. And Mm. if you're going to, you know, get past a filibuster, you have to get 60 votes. So if you've agreed to something by unanimous consent, that's the description I just described there, not referring to the University of Cincinnati. UC <laughs> is the term you'll hear. UC, they passed the bill by UC or something. Uh-huh. They've passed the bill. And you can do things very quickly if you have all 100 senators aligned. But most bills, certainly bills that are, are major, they take longer. You have to get it to the floor. Um, you have something called the motion to proceed, which in the Senate, Again, we have endless debate in the Senate. That's debatable. So if you, you're not vote, you have to vote to proceed to the bill. And if you don't agree to vote to proceed to the bill and you don't cut off a filibuster there, guess what? You're stuck. You can't even debate the bill. <laughs> so uh, those are a couple of different ways that they handle getting bills onto the floor. And, of course, it takes a simple majority in both the House and Senate to approve most bills, Abby. Right. So then what happens, just to break that down a little bit more, if the House and the Senate pass different versions of the bill, where does it go next? There's a couple ways to work that out. The first way is we call it ping pong. I and love this ping is literally pong. Where, yes. And in, <laughs> fact, and in fact, ping pong is actually a registered trademark of Milton Bradley. Really? Uh, so, yes. So table tennis maybe is more appropriate here. I don't know. But say the Senate has passed a bill 
and they send it over to the House of Representatives. And the House says, because these are different bodies, different makeups, different beliefs, they say, oh, we'll pass that bill, but they change it a little bit. So then you have two competing versions of the same bill. Mm-hmm. And so you, the Senate has passed the bill, and they ping it over to the House, and the House does what it does to it, and they pass their version, and so they pong it back to the Senate. And you can do that a couple of times back and forth. The technical term is called a message between houses. And you can do that a couple of times back and forth and, and until one body accepts the other version. And sometimes you're in a period where the Senate is usually trumping the House or vice versa mm-hmm. for about the past, oh, I would say 20 or so years. We've been in mostly a period where the Senate has gotten the better of the House. But of late, uh, I would even argue in the past couple of years, we might have moved into a, a new paradigm here where the House often gets the better of the Senate. Uh, we'll see how, how long that goes, but that's kind of where we are right now. Now, that, So that's one way, ping pong. Okay, just a quick question about ping yes. pong. Obviously, you can't rally back and forth forever. Someone has to score. So what you're saying is that one of them has to agree on the terms on the other a couple pings and yes, pongs. Yes, yes. Or, or say the House, say the Senate passes its bill, the House cha- makes its changes, and they send it back to the Senate, so it's an altered bill, and they say, yes, we can pass this, or maybe we can't. Or they completely flush it and change what was in it and send it back. I mean, I remember during the government shutdown of 2013, I I timed it, in fact, Abby, uh, there was a dispute between the House and the Senate. The Senate during the government shutdown was controlled at that stage by the Democrats, the House by the Republicans. And so the House was trying to take out money for Obamacare. Mm -hmm. And that was the root of the dispute that fueled the government shutdown in 2013. And so what happened, the Democratic Senate was just not going to abide that. So the House kept passing these various versions uh, of the spending bills to run the government and each time would defund Obamacare and they would send it over to the, uh, the Senate. And one time it came back within 46 minutes, 46 minutes because Harry Reid immediately moved it out wasn't going to take it, sent back what they had you know, done in the Senate originally, sent it back with, with, with this, you know, stripping out the defunding of Obamacare and sent it back to the House in 46 minutes. So until you get both on the same page, and again, you can only do that, that, that rally, that volleying can only happen. What if you uh, never agree? Well, then you're stuck. The bill's done. And sometimes you do have that happen where the House and Senate have passed different versions. That's it. Or, or a good look at this of late is um, is voting rights. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean that you that, that you have a problem in the Senate compared to the House of Representatives with voting rights bills and uh, or, or gun bills or passing statehood for D.C. Uh, and a lot of times those bills do not even come up in one chamber or the other because they know they can't pass. Okay, got it. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you which bills have been the most controversial, like the ones that you just mentioned. So I guess I'll go which bills have been passed most unanimously. Right. Well, and a lot of times those things are are sometimes non-controversial things, but you would be surprised once in a while. And it's more than just honoring Boy Scout troops and things like that. Um, I remember a a bill to fund the government during another threat of a government shutdown Uh uh, back in April of 2011. And it was passed lickety split by unanimous consent, as I describe, uh, you know, in the uh, in the Senate and then sent over to the House of Representatives. In fact, nobody could even tell me that night we were here after midnight how long they were opening the government for. It turned out I was told initially it was four days. It turned out it was it it was seven days, but nobody could even direct me to a piece of paper. They Mm -hmm. passed it so fast in the Senate and moved it back to the House. So we talked about the the table tennis here. What I did not discuss 
is what we call a conference committee. So a conference committee is a congressional blender. This is a, a Quasinart. And what they do, you have a House version, you have a Senate version. Both sides have to agree to go to conference, as you say, and appoint conferees. These are House and Senate members who get together, and they blend in this congressional Quasinart the House version and the Senate version. And what they produce is a solitary, unified version of the bill. And sometimes they can't get together. Okay, keep in mind, this is, you know, a tough process, a conference report. And so even though something might have passed through the House and the Senate, you go to a conference committee and blend, uh, you know, these two bills together into a unified conference report. Then once in a while, sometimes the House or Senate can't pass the final conference report. Now, I'm going to take you way down the rabbit hole. Can't wait. So I'm following you down there. Okay. (laughs) You have so you have once they have passed a unified version, you know, it's either sometimes and it's either a House bill or a Senate bill. It doesn't matter. But you have that conference report, whichever body actually has jurisdiction. They send it down to the White House and the president signed it, signs it. So you have something here on Capitol Hill called enrollment and engrossment. And this is where you have clerks who literally go through and get the bill onto parchment paper. And you have to have the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate or the acting President pro tem of the Senate, you know, somebody up here to sign Mm -hmm. the document and then you send it down. There was an incident back in about 2008, 2009, where there was a dispute that something was changed because it was an issue of interpretation by the enrollment clerks enrolling the bill, taking all this legislative language and sending it down to the White House. Really important stuff here. And they were saying, well, it was up to interpretation uh, because they thought the House and Senate had passed the same thing, but maybe they really hadn't. Mm -hmm. We had another instance. This is not quite passing a bill the same way, but uh, there was a a farm bill back in about 2008 or so as well. Uh, President George W. Bush was in the White House, threatened to veto it. They had the votes to override a veto here. That's another way things can come, you know, become law, because if the president doesn't sign something, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. And then, but if Congress two, takes a two-thirds vote of both bodies to override a veto, and there have only been, uh, I think, 112 veto overrides in the history of the republic now. So they sent the bill down, the, pre- the farm bill, the president vetoed it, George W. Bush, sent it back. And they were about to do the veto override. As I say, this has only happened, you know, a little more than 100 times in the entire history of the United States. They realized that when they sent the bill down originally, the bill had something like 15 titles. In other words, 15 distinct sections, chapters, as mm-hmm. it were. They left out one of the titles, mm-hmm. one of the section, an entire section. So this was not caught on Capitol Hill, Abbey. It was not caught by legislative staff at the White House, and it wasn't caught until it was sent back and they were about to override it. So in other words, if you had – and the memory is coming back to me now. There were 12 sections to the bill. They, they, they essentially passed a full bill, but what they sent the White House was 11 twelfths wow. of a bill. So is that because the they're so long and people just don't read it? I mean, how well, does that happen? That's another – component to this. I think that was not so much the P uh, that, that that was really legislative staff on both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue, congressional staff and the uh, executive branch not picking up on this. So the president vetoed 11 twelfths of a bill. Mm-hmm. And what they initially did was they then overrode 11 twelfths of the bill and then went back and handled that final remainder one twelfth and 
made the farm bill law over the objections of the president. Right. Wow. I've got a question to ask you, but right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, I, I do have a quick question uh, to follow up on. You, you talk about the bills in the House or in the Senate. What types of bills start in either or? I, is there a bill that typically starts more often in the House or the Senate? How do those right. different? Well, well, the Constitution different. talks about bills for raising revenue. Now, let me ask you a question. What is a bill for raising revenue, Abby? Bills for raising revenue must originate in the House. What's a bill for raising revenue? Uh that's a great question. What do we do in April? April 15th. Oh, taxes. Aha, yes. So so the Constitution, it says that, that those bills must originate in the House of Representatives. Okay. Now, you can imagine that in the, you know, bill that they're dealing with with infrastructure, or you could imagine the bill they're dealing with here that will ultimately be the social spending bill for the Democrats. Sometimes you'll look at a bill and it'll have a crazy title on it that has nothing to do with infrastructure or whatever, (laughs) you know, the thing is here. Because what they often do is they say we have to get the right type of bill. And even though the process started in the Senate for some reason, what they have done is they've taken an old House bill, see, started in the House, Mm And it do, and the title of the bill is not the same title, but you're meeting that constitutional muster by plugging all that other stuff into a House originating bill, even though the Senate started with it because they strip it out. It's something else. And, 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 and that turns out to be the vehicle. So those types of bills must start in the House of Representatives. Got it. Yeah, that, that that's okay. the one thing that's pretty clear. Yeah. And then where does the president come in? So uh, when he or in the future, she receives the bill, uh, what what happens then? Well, sometimes you'll hear presidents say, I have a plan or this is my proposal. Or, I remember in the right. West Wing one time they said that th- this was just a gaffe. You know, they said White House bill, something. There is no such thing. <laughs> It's. I mean, presidents certainly propose ideas, but it has to have sponsors and buy-in from people on Capitol Hill. So it all comes from here. That's not to say they don't work in tandem. If you have a Democratic administration and Democrats in Congress, they're going to work together and Republicans the same way. Okay, that's that's key. But the president's real role here, because if you have something that can't get past the president, then you have a problem. You know, and this is something that even Nancy Pelosi said, not so much talking about Joe Biden uh, the past few days. But she said, you know, we just don't want to pass a bill in the House of Representatives that can't get through the Senate. Now, if it gets through the House and gets through the Senate, Joe Biden's going to sign the social spending and infrastructure bills. Mm -hmm. So you you always have this dial in with the administration and you'll see sometimes a, a veto threat. Actual, you know, document that comes out from the White House or it will be called a statement of administration policy, a SAP, S-A-P, and they will give the merits or demerits of the bill from their point of view and then say if the president is presented with this bill in this form, he will sign it or or he will veto it, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so that's something to watch for. A lot of times, even though you get the statement of administration policy, uh, that's been pre-baked. Everybody kind of knows where where it is. Um, You know, probably one of the more interesting things I saw, and this did not 
play out this way, but the potential was there, was late last year, uh, President Trump at the time threatened to veto the defense policy bill. The reason is that he was insistent that they include a provision that dealt with the repeal of Section 230 that dealt with you know tech firms, the, the shield for tech firms. A lot of people could say, well, that has nothing to do with defense policy, which on its face it does not, and was going to jeopardize troops if they didn't pass the bill. Well, when, and they turned out overriding the president's veto in this. Okay, so that's pretty important. That's why you know we had a, these veto overrides don't happen very often. But we were almost at the end of a Congress, mm-hmm. and and I remember in school they talked about this, but they didn't explain it very well. A pocket veto. Now you will not find the term pocket veto anywhere in the Constitution. But it says that if the Congress is about to end, you know, and they're going to adjourn, that's going to be it. There's a finality to the Congress. Um, the president has to get the, the bill within certain days and has a, a limited period of time to sign it. Well, if you looked at the map, I remember when the when they were dealing with this right before Christmas last time, you know, the new Congress was going to start on the 3rd of January at noon this year. And I said, and and it include it excludes Sundays as to you know what the window of time is that the president has here. They came very close to having the opportunity, at least the Trump administration did, to executing a pocket veto. In other words, the bill runs out, the time, the clock runs out because they got the bill too late, and the term, the derivation of the term is the president puts it in his pocket. He doesn't sign it. He doesn't veto it. He just says, "I'm not dealing with it." And then if the Congress you know, if that expires, that Congress expires, which is what happened come 1159 in the morning on January 3rd, that's it. Game over. The bill just goes poof into the congressional ether. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, last question as we wrap things up, because you've been spearheading a lot of the coverage on these bills that have been coming up in the news as of late. And we're talking about the three and a half trillion dollar budget bill, the infrastructure bill. Uh, can you just explain what part of the process these bills are in and where you think uh, it may go from here? Well, so right now what you have had happen is the Senate has passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, the House has not. And they had to get this big buy in from the moderate Democrats uh, to say we will get a vote on that bill either on or before the 27th of September. OK, so that's mm-hmm. supposedly going to happen then. The other thing is uh, that happened is the Senate also approved this budget framework, which sets the basically says, OK, you know, twice per Congress, ostensibly, uh, you can go around Senate filibuster rules if you have a bill that is fiscal in nature. And um, you can imagine a big social spending bill is fiscal in nature and use this special process called budget reconciliation, which means you can go around a filibuster. You don't need 60 votes. You just need 51. Well, the problem uh, for the Democrats is that they, they, they were struggling to get the support to approve a budget resolution in the House of Representatives, um, even though the Senate had done so. They have done so now. And so you don't you would not have that option in the Senate to use budget reconciliation if both the House and Senate had not approved a budget, because reconciliation is this separate parliamentary tool you can use, like I said, you know, sparingly to pass bills and get around a filibuster, which is what seems to be the way they they roll on that thing now. So that's what happened. So they both have have a budget that's ready to go. And what will happen in about the next three to four weeks is uh, they will start to write the actual nuts and bolts, the meat and potatoes that will go in to this big social spending bill. 
and then they have to pass both of those in the House and the Senate. You know, I, I mean, I had people here at Fox asking me the past few days when the House was wrestling with this budget resolution. They said, oh, they're going to pass that bill today. I said, no, no, no. We're, we're several steps away from that. <laughs> and by the way, it's not even a bill. I know we talked about how does a bill become a law. Yeah. That is a budget resolution, mm. which is a little bit different because it does not have yet the force of law. And presidents don't sign budget resolutions. Uh, you know, that's just a, it, it's a it's a congressional issue. And, you know, when, when they created Schoolhouse Rock, I think that went on the air back in the mid 70s. And they talked about a bill being here on Capitol Hill and everything else. Yeah, I, I looked when they did that particular uh, when they did that particular episode. Um, and that was 1976. And this whole process that you will hear a lot about budget reconciliation did not even exist until the Budget Act of 1974. So I think when they put that together, because budget reconciliation is now such a, a major part of legislation on Capitol Hill, and it's very complicated. I don't know how you could do a, a ditty that airs on Saturday morning TV that would explain budget reconciliation. But that had only been in place for about two years when they came up with Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, one of my favorite Schoolhouse Rock episodes yeah. was the Conjunction Junction. The, the best to this day. I always liked the one about adjectives. I thought that was a good one. Yeah. 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 yeah, Well, if they ever bring Schoolhouse Rock back, Chad, I am going to put your name in the ring because you have been the best on this podcast. And thank you so much for all the information. This is why you're one of our favorite people on Capitol Hill. You just have all all the good knowledge. So thank you again for coming on. Glad to join. Thank you. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways about how a bill gets passed. Number one, the process of passing a bill starts in either the House or the Senate. After the bill is introduced, it goes to committee. From there, the Congress debates on the bill and votes. Then it reaches the desk of the president. That leads me to number two. When the bill reaches the president, he can sign and approve the bill to make it a law. Or he can veto the bill and send it back to Congress, where Congress can override the veto, choose no action, or pocket veto. And number three. Chad discussed the volley that happens between the House and the Senate when working on a bill, but he says that a conference committee is set up if there are any disagreements on the bill, kind of like a blend of both House and Senate members to produce a solitary, unified version of a certain bill. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on how a bill gets passed. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.